I think it's apt that during Murder Mystery Month, when we're doing films about whodunits, that Ozzy's literally hiding in a closet <laughs> to record this episode. <laughs> everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Dave. I'm Austin. And this month's season is just like the question, how does Rob Schneider keep on getting work? Well, it's a mystery. A murder mystery, <laughs> that is. So, no, that, sorry, that sounds a little bit like Rob Schneider's been killed. Uh, he hasn't. <laughs> Although he has murdered some accents and cultures over the years. <laughs> but, <laughs> Of course, I'm talking about our Murder Mystery Month. And this week, we're putting the 1985 comedy Mystery Clue on trial. Is it a board game adaptation or is it a board game adaptation? I see what you did there. That's, no, that's wordplay. I, word I tried to do some wordplay. <laughs> I tried to do some highbrow humor. Do you want to hear my lowbrow attempt? Uh, go on. <laughs> do I? Well, you're going to hear it anyway. Is it a candlestick in the cellar? Or is it an awkward conversation with the doctor as to how it got there? (laughs) (laughs) I just watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy with uh, an awkward candlestick incident, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, we're going to find out if it will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Knives Out, which, Dave, you judged and you deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. Now, you've since gone away and you've watched the film. Did you make the right call or not? Yes, I think I did. I mean, I remember enjoying it at the time when I first watched it. I I indulged the arguments. I really did. And there were some good points. You know, it's not faultless by any stretch, you know, but it's pretty damn good. You enjoy it. It mesmerizes you. You're just drawn in. You can't escape from it. And it's just, yeah, it it keeps you entertained. And I was chatting with it about, about... Knives Out with a few other people, and everyone was saying, "Oh yeah, what a great film! Love that film! I need to rewatch that." I think the general consensus is this is a pretty darn good film. It's a classic in the making. Probably needs a bit more longevity mm-hmm. to make it a classic, but it's it's on its way. I think it's uh, pretty much universal acclaim from what I've seen. And what do you feel about the proposed sequels? I say proposed. One of them's being filmed at the moment. Mm, um. I mean, everything gets a sequel. Everything successful gets a sequel these days, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. uh, it's inevitable almost. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll give it a chance. I mean, it, the first one was a hit. It was great. So yeah, let's see if they can do it again with the second one. Might fall flat. Might be good. You know, Jumanji too. You know, ne- the next level. It was the sequel. It was like, oh, should they be making another one? It's like, ah, you know what? This is pretty good. See, let's uh, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what happens with Knives Out too. Great. I thought you were going to get me off on a really bad start then by bad mouth in Jumanji 2. But, As, uh... what? No, no, I will never bad mouth Jumanji 2. Right. Uh, now, uh, onto the trial. So, all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So, acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list will be Dave. And Dave is just like Martin Mole's character, Colonel Mustard. Whenever he's faced with a tough decision, and a situation he has a very stiff upper lip and an even stiffer drink <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's very apt that yeah. could have been worse because <laughs> it could it does get a lot worse uh, and acting <laughs> as prosecution there's only me there's only me <laughs> <laughs> well done well done Ozzy there wasn't much deduction with that mystery was there <laughs> 
And uh, after this prosecution of trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be me. I'm just like Leaving's character, Mr. Body. I may look dead, but I assure you that I'm not. And now, <laughs> just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Now, this week, Ozzy is playing the most important characters. He will be playing the judge, and he has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, and not using his own opinion. And Ozzy is just like Leslie and Warren's character, Miss Scarlet. His job is a complete mystery, but we know that he... <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I may be editing that out. <laughs> okay, now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. <laughs> wow, that's like the first week in about seven weeks that has I've been a never heard, Yeah, I've never heard the horse before. That is a new one. Well, Dave, now you know for future reference, it's you. The horse. I'm the horse. I'm. Oh, I think it's all randomised to be honest. But uh, anyway, it's landed on you anyway. Uh huh. So what we do here is read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, obviously, it's landed on Dave. So Ozzy, how would we like Dave to read out the synopsis? <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't know a huge amount about who's in it other than Tim Curry and how he's there, I guess. Tim Curry? How Tim, Tim Curry? Dave? Not non-existent. I don't think I've ever attempted a Tim Curry impression in my life. What about, uh, yeah, Tim, Tim Curry? Apart from, apart from his Pennywise, you know, but that, that's not what we're going for here. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, what about Tim, Tim Curry in Home Alone 2? That's quite distinctive, isn't it? Which, which I've, is I've, essentially... never, I've never tried to do an impression of Tim Curry in Home Alone 2. A cheese pizza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Tim Curry. Are there any, are there, are there any other? Well, go on. I was going to say, are there any yeah, no, other go, actually, go on. voices? Yeah, Dave, uh, is yeah. there anybody that you think that you could do? Uh, not, Lloyd? not especially, no. I don't think so. Roads, where are we going? Wait, what about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to follow that. I mean, <laughs> I don't okay. know. I, I'm open. I don't think there is anyone in the cast of Clue that I can do well. So it's it's totally. Oh, oh, that was that was without question. Um, but, okay, <laughs> with, but who would you like to do? I, t- I don't mind. You, I don't mind. I tell you what, what, what. We'll have a bit of a cough up. Why don't you give it in your best sort of murder mystery trailer voice? Yeah. Murder mystery trailer voice. So are we yeah. talking like you know the classic this summer? That yeah. guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that guy, one yeah. would be great. Yeah. That guy. Okay. That guy. Six guests are anonymously invited to a strange mansion for dinner. But after their host is killed, they must cooperate with the staff to identify the murderer as the bodies pile up. <laughs> that was very good. Well done. I thought it was very good. And yeah, Don LaFontaine, I remembered the guy's name, Don LaFontaine. Don LaFontaine. The movie, the movie trailer guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, a very, very apt portrayal. What am I trying to say? Very. He might, he might actually impression. have done the voiceover for the Clue trailer as he well. Pro- by the probably way, probably did. Wasn't he like <laughs> ridiculously pro- prolific? Didn't he? Yeah, insanely like 8, prolific. Yeah. Uh, anyway, moving on. Ozzy, you're the judge. So, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yes, yes, please do. Um, I get, a, I get a gist of it. The, the idea is it's basically Cluedo, but on the screen. But 
defence. Um, let's give it its best foot forward. Give me the bit of a plot overview, and then um, and then feel free to alliterate it with as many, as much praise as you as you dare fit. Well, I mean, you've just co- you've covered it. It's Cluedo on screen, and who doesn't enjoy Cluedo? The defence I mean, from last from last week. Gav. It sounded like Gav absolutely adores Cluedo. So Gav loves sure Cluedo. Gonna... Gav loves a good game of Cluedo. Yeah. Now, what you okay? What you've got here? Okay, this is the first ever board game adaptation. Don't hold that against that. I know Battleship was terrible, but this is the first time they try to basically make a story and make a film out of something that you know clue doesn't really have a set story like you say every game is different so you know everything the story you make yourself as you go along with this they actually had to nail down a plot nail down a story and get some interesting characters in there rather than you playing as a character now they've got to flesh them out make them more uh, three-dimensional and they did it with great success in this film what you've got is you've assembled some of the best this cast could not be better these are some of the best comic actors that i think america had to offer in the 1980s we'll get on the cast later but trust me when i say they are good and they make this film well essentially you know when i was saying that you know the plot it can change you know the game every game is different and it's funny that you mentioned that because there is one distinctive point about clue that i need to bring up and that is the fact that they actually had three different endings I thought I'd bring this up quickly. You know, it's funny to start with the ending, isn't it? But it had three how, different endings. How does that work? As a, well, as a they, shot, they shot three different endings, and then different cinemas would screen different endings. Apparently, there was a clue in, like, the newspaper advertisements or in the posters outside the cinema. You know, they'd have, like, a secret A, B, or C hidden in there in the advertisement that would tell you which ending it was. Now, uh, the writer, the story was uh, done by John Landis, who we know is the director of the Blues Brothers, and he came up with this idea. His idea was, you know, one, he thought it'd be really funny to have people talking about, oh, I went to see Clue last night. What do you think of how it ended? And then just have two guys chatting by the water cooler talking about completely different endings and just confused as <laughs> to how this happened. But also he thought maybe they could trick some people into maybe going to see the film a couple of times to get the ending. But that didn't really pan out. It's only the ending that changed. The rest of the film is the same as it is. And if you watch the film on home entertainment now, you buy the DVD, stream it, whatever it may or if it's aired on TV, you get all three. So that was purely uh, just for the cinematic release. It was just kind of yeah, a, okay. a bit of fun that they had there. Um, so when you when you watch it at home, so let's say I think it's on uh, Netflix, isn't it? So I've uh-huh. seen it's on Netflix. So if you if you download that, how does that pan out? Do you do you have to watch it three times, or do you watch the ending and it cuts back to the end? Oh no, it cuts back. back what they've, they've spliced in these like cards now, so it's like um, so here's what happened, Option. and then okay. there's that, and then it's a. Like, but what if this happened? And then the, uh, okay. the same, and then the and then the next title card. Okay, okay. Here's what really happened. So it gives you all three endings just in like quick yeah. succession like that. And yet, yet each one of them just gets madder and more zany than the first. And that's one thing you've got to enjoy about Clue. It is a zany film. This is a daft comedy. You know, the characters do bizarre things. They are it, it crazy. These characters. They are they are off the wall. They are unpredictable. You know, you want big characters. You've got very talented actors. You've got a decent cast. You want them to be playing these big, larger than life characters. You know, and you've got to pad out characters that according to the board game didn't really have much of a backstory as far as i'm concerned i don't i couldn't tell you anything about you know colonel mustard or mrs peacock from playing the board game so they've got to pad them out and give them this backstory which is why they set the film in the 1950s setting it in the 1950s because you've got to come up with plot and motive you know this is a whodunit at the end of the day you've got to come up with motive and they want to keep they want to keep you guessing you know it's clue at the end of the day the whole idea is you've got to keep guessing who the murderer is so setting it in the 1950s, 
gives you the chance to bring in the the communism element, you know, the socialist element that that was going on in the 1950s. When Tim Curry's walking through the kitchen, uh, one of Joe McCarthy's uh, speeches is on the radio. So it's, it sets you in the right time. And, you know, there's talk about, oh, what if this is a conspiracy? What if this is Russian agents? All of the guys there, some of the back plot, all, the, all six of them have a connection with Washington. You know, they work in the city. Some of them have government jobs. So the idea of, oh, maybe this is a, a sort of a sabotage, a spy sort of thing or a blackmail thing. Is it just blackmail? Is there something untoward? The motives are just plentiful in this. And you can never pin down exactly what it is that has happened. And then the endings of course, explore the various motives that there might have been. So essentially what you've got here is a fast-paced comedy, plenty going on, uh, intricate plot, exciting characters, and basically making a two-dimensional board game into a three-dimensional picture and doing it with great success. Okay, great success, Gaff. Uh, one of your favourite board games, from I gather, from listening back to the podcast from last week. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, as Dave mentioned before, as movies like Battleship have shown us, just because something makes an enjoyable board game doesn't mean that it's going to translate into an enjoyable film. <laughs> so, uh, Dave mentioned that the the script and what on the plot were nailed down. I, I think that's one of the biggest problems of this film is that it doesn't have a plot, and it's not so much nailed down as it is held down with spit and prayers. This, <laughs> it's. <laughs> Inspired by the the Parker Brothers board game Cluedo, as Dave said, and that that's the biggest problem. The filmmaker is overly reliant on the audience knowing and loving the board game. The screenplay is very paper thin, and the characters feel like really poorly constructed caricatures. This doesn't feel like there's any sort of development, any really backstory to them all. Dave mentioned all of this about the all work in Washington, and there's you know there's this whole conspiracy is or oh, what if it's communism. Um, what if it's spies? What if it's the Soviet Union? That is all just very lightly touched upon. Th th those those things probably cover about, I'm going to say, two minutes of the entire film. The rest of it is what Dave said before, zany. Now, zany is a word that my teachers used to describe me at, at school. And what they really <laughs> meant was annoying. <laughs> 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 so the, the, the story is, is essentially your average game of clue to us, as Dave just detailed. But I think the director and the writer, Jonathan Lynn and, and John Landis, probably figured out pretty quickly that it's hard to write a comedic mystery based on this. So instead of fleshing out the story or the characters, they instead tried to turn it into a more madcap screwball comedy, which involves so many throwaway gags that it becomes really tiresome. But because of this, I think the film is just tonally very off. It's not suspenseful or scary at any point. The mystery is sidelined for supposed comedy, which comes off more frantic than it does funny, with the final 15 or 20 minutes involving a literal exhausted and panting Tim Curry running all over the house with the guests to relay the accounts of the murder, the supposed comedic effect. I just don't think that as a film it works very well. I think it works a hell of a lot better as a board game. I think that they've tried to do too many things here and that none of them have, have worked out. They, they haven't really kind of nailed down the comedy. It's not really a mystery. It just feels like a lot of stuff thrown together. And the director here, well, I just don't think that he had a clue. Oh, <laughs> Oh, nice. oh, Eliza, I love a good flourish, and, and it's been a while since we've had a, a little bit of um, wordplay uh, in the middle of the argument, so you're going to have to really come up with your A-game uh, for the next next round of this day. It's got, it, it sounds to me a little bit like um, maybe Airplane-esque, 
or something along those a bit slapstick, a bit. It, it clearly isn't meant to be taken seriously. That's why I've taken from both arguments there. It's very much a comedy. And I guess it depends on who you are and when you watch it, just how, how funny you're going to find or how much you're going to be bothered to follow. Um, but on that note, so gag a minute, I, I think I heard or something similar to that from both of you. Is it sort of, is it fast paced? Does the pace work for it? It's not a very long film from what I can gather. Does it feel like it, it keeps the pace up for that full time? It's really yeah, or? if I may, yeah, you won't find yourself being bored. I think it gets off to a, it's a slow burner, but as it should, as it builds, as it sets the scene, introduces you to the characters, um, it doesn't necessarily build suspense. You know, Gav says it's not scary or suspenseful. It's not meant to be. This is just a zany uh, comedy. And the pace is rapid fire. You know, Gav said the script was quite weak. And I'm not, the, the script is not infallible by any stretch. You know, there are maybe lull moments. But the thing is, that pace is what saves it. Well, that and the performances of the cast are what bring it back. So you have a joke that doesn't land anymore, you know, 20 years down the line. Doesn't matter. A couple of seconds later, here's another one. And that one might land. This fast pace is what keeps it going. It's what, why it's still a classic to this day, why it's still got such cult favor because of the pacing of the film, because it is quick. So even if you don't find every joke funny, it's okay. Within a minute, you've probably got three things to be laughing about. Two out of three isn't bad. So I think that pace is it's one of the film's biggest attributes. That manic energy that Gav was talking about is what keeps the film going, that pace. You get 20 minutes at the start of the film where the characters are introduced, they're having dinner, where it is quite a gentle pace. Once Mr. Body's body hits the floor, <laughs> that's when the pace gets going. That's when it becomes manic. Everyone panicking, everyone tripping over each other. You know, unexpected visitors turning up at the house. You've got a police officer of all people, a man whose car's broken down, a singing telegram girl. You've got all these randomers turn up at the house and they're just trying to keep them in the dark, sometimes literally, about what the hell is going on in the house while they all try and work out what the hell they're going to do because everyone's got secrets. Everyone could be blackmailed. Everyone wants to try and keep this hush, but they got a body on their hands. You know, it is wacky, but wacky in an almost dignified sort of sense. These are 1950s government workers. So they're not like running around like Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler kind of wacky. Yeah. You know, it's a more highbrow sort of humor. They're wittier than that. They still do stupid things. They still crack their heads on things. You know, there's still plenty of slapstick moments, but it's, it's a different kind of zaniness you know one that won't get as annoying as uh, as gav or what gav was suggesting <laughs> it's that freudian slip at the end as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you redeemed yourself midway with yeah. the body's hit the floor. nice work and then, our, yeah our teachers said it you know <laughs> <laughs> and they still do <laughs> no come, come on that then gav so so yes maybe a joke doesn't land but straight after you might have another joke it's so fast that the, the next one could could easily land and it'll keep you entertained throughout no no the, the approach to comedy here is just to hail as much shit at the wall as possible and hopefully some of it will stick it's i'm obviously being a bit harsh here because there are some funny lines in there but there'll be jams in between some really unfunny ones the film itself and the comedy as dave said before very, very frantic, but at 88 minutes, the pacing feels incredibly rushed, and there's not a lot of time for these jokes to settle. So Dave's saying that if you don't like a joke, don't worry, because soon enough there's going to be another one. I think sometimes you need to give the joke some time so, so you can appreciate it. Like, somebody will say a funny comment, but right afterwards, you've got somebody else saying something that's much less funny, and by, by the time, you know, you've given, given time to think, you're just joke. like... 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, it just leaves a bit of a bad taste. Uh, and with the, the many one-liners being thrown at you over and over and over again, it just becomes very tedious and a bit try-hard. It's like, you know, being trapped with me in a room when we were about, you know, 21. <laughs> and we ran out of things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, like that zaniness again, you know. All of this just keeps on hitting home, you know. I just remember nights out just being in a room with somebody, you know, on a night out just being like trying my best, joke after joke after joke, and I can just see their dead eyes looking back at me, like, why am I here? Who's this man? <laughs> to be honest, by the end of the film, after you got one guy dead on the floor and about like, seven or eight other characters running around panicking, it it's pretty much did remind similar. me of a lad's holiday. <laughs> by the time that um, like one of these funny lines happens you're less accepting of it i think because there's been that many shit ones and um yeah. and the overall humor i think some of it is incredibly tinny and, and dated you know some of it it feels a little bit like benny hill lots of people running around after each other and oh look there's a pair of tits isn't that really funny you know some of the lines or events they might have been funny 35 years ago and they just aren't now or they might have been funny 35 years ago and they've just dated incredibly poorly or you know they're of poor taste now yeah. i don't think the, yeah. there's many instances of that happening but there's a few that was just like oh humor, humor <laughs> changes doesn't it, i guess yeah. and, and yeah. sometimes you got to be aware of that and, and I, I, that was probably going to be my next question really is that it is 1985 i think 85 that's you know yeah there you go so yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, we all used to think you were really funny when we first started hanging out with you, Ozzy. Um, <laughs> and then 35 years later. <laughs> but no, I, think, I think Gav's right. I will give him that point. It, there are a couple of jokes in there which, yeah, I've dated a bit, but only a couple. And, you know, it could have been much worse. There's a lot of comedy films from the 80s you watch and every other joke has, has landed poorly or aged poorly. But this only being a couple that might, you might consider that a win, and like you say, humor changes. Oh yeah, every yeah. every few years, let alone throughout the decades. And but, yeah, yeah, I watched uh, Revenge of the Nerds back recently, and that is horrendous. Oh, it's <laughs> bad, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Oh my god, yeah, yeah, it's hor- yeah, it horrendous. Yeah, uh, that's a shocking one. <laughs> It should just be called Revenge of the Sexual Assault. It was just, yeah. none of it was funny at all. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. Coming soon to films on trial, I think. <laughs> I think Alex and Joel will be defending that one. <laughs> For not pitching up today. Yeah. And can I just make a point, Ozzy? Of course you can. About of course you can. Dave mentioned before, he mentioned about all these different people arriving at different points and, you know, oh, look, here's a singing telegram and here's somebody's car is broken down and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, as I, as I said before, I think this relates back to my earlier point when I was saying the overall story is a bit basic, it's a bit weak, it's essentially a game of Cluedo, and they've tried to spice it up and bulk it out by just throwing some madcap stuff in it. So you have these unnecessary characters just coming onto the screen and being killed. Now, one or two deaths, I think, would be enough, but it feels like every 10, 15 minutes, somebody else pitches up only to be killed, whilst all the central characters remain unharmed. Now, personally, I think if you're going to have a mystery film where multiple deaths occur, then you should include some of the prime suspects to help you as an audience member try and figure out who the killer could possibly be. But it feels like the director and the writer are purposely trying to keep all of the characters alive to create more mystery. But I, I just I just don't think it works. I, I think that one of the reasons that you watch these films is to try and figure out who the murderer is, you know, because it's such a satisfying feeling as an audience member, having picked up on these little clues throughout the film. But it just feels like oh, all of the characters left at the end. And it feels that the only reason that they've done that is so they can have this sort of choose your own destiny adventure thing where you have these multiple endings. But really, 
the characters who are called out at the end and they say, oh, actually, this person's the murderer. No, it's this person's the murderer. It doesn't feel like they actually are the murderer. And I just feel it's very, it's very lazy and unrewarding getting different endings. Dave said it was a really good thing, having these different endings in different cities or countries or wherever you saw the film. But I think it's like it's incredibly unsatisfying, especially if you've watched the film and you're trying to piece together who the murderer might be. And you think, right, it's and that it, person. And it could have been anyone. And it literally could have been anybody. It just feels very lazy. It feels like the director's just gone, um, uh, yeah, this, this person will do. Yeah, it's them. And I, I just... It, it, it just feels like it doesn't matter at all because no matter how well you follow the film, which is already quite hard to follow because there's that much happening, it's quite frantic, it's quite rushed, you, you're not rewarded for your efforts and it just feels a bit cheap and uninspiring at the end of it. Cheap and uninspiring and there's no real, um, there's no real jeopardy if it doesn't matter who's the ending. If you've got three, three different endings, it could be anyway, literally no relevance to the rest of the movie, Dave. Yeah. Well, in that respect, this film is very different to the average whodunit. For one thing, it's a comedy, so it shouldn't really be taken that seriously. It's like watching Airplane, as we mentioned before, and worrying about the technical aspects of how they're going to get the plane down. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to, don't concern yourself with that. You know, you get your answer, you get your whodunit, you get your, yeah. your answers, uh, you get your questions answered at the end, and that's all that matters. But like I said, they had some fun with it. It's a pretty unique thing to film three different endings and air them you know we're not just talking like bonus material on the dvd it's like they actually screened various endings to have a bit of a laugh and to like compel people to maybe see the film a second time all that sort of thing and it works i think it's very unique it's a really unique uh, sort of stance on this you don't see many who done it in that vein um and i think it pays off i think it's you're not supposed to be too invested about putting the clues together yourself you know when tim curry's doing his wrap-up running around the house like a lunatic explaining how everything could have happened the characters look confused and befuddled and frantic and they're getting he takes them by the hand and they fall up the stairs and they're going this way that way they're pulled from pillar to post it's the zaniness of it you know you're meant to enjoy the ride more than the end of it you know walking out stepping off the roller coaster is not the fun bit it's the ride on the way through it and with this film Unlike many whodunits where the ending might be the satisfying bit for more serious films, with this one being a comedy, just enjoy the ride. Depending on how fast the roller coaster's going and if it spins you around quite a bit, getting off it can be can be quite, quite fun. fun. Yeah, <laughs> could, be, yeah. could be the most, could be the right. most satisfying part of it. Yeah, okay. first over I, the barriers, yeah. I, I will sort of agree slightly with, with what Dave's saying about this sort of choose-your-own ending. Uh, I think that it could work really well today if it was done properly. I think we've seen with films like Bandersnatch that they can be very well received. And I think maybe if Netflix had the rights to Cluedo and they did something where, you know, you, you get to the 88 minute mark or sorry, no, the 80 minute mark and then you press a button and then you get a different ending. I think that would be quite satisfying. But what you get instead is wherever you watch the film, as Dave said before, you get three endings, which feel a little tedious. I was watching it with my wife and she was like, but the, but the the second one when that had finished and it was like no but it could also end like this she was like i can't be asked with this turn it off now <laughs> it, it did feel a little bit like oh it, yeah as i said before just a bit unsatisfying because you had this one ending and you were like oh yeah i could have guessed it was them and then you know you, oh, you've got another and ending another and it one feels next. a little bit like oh this feels like it's been cobbled together just as a sort of like how else could this film have ended oh i don't know let's just say the um jehovah's witness or the uh, uh, evangelist or whoever it was is also an fbi agent yeah it just feels a little bit like oh okay and that's happened has it, it yeah it just felt a bit rushed and a bit all over the place 
But if I may bear in mind, that wasn't necessarily how the film was meant to be viewed. In the cinematic experience, which people argue is how you're meant to view films in the cinema, you would have gotten one ending, mm-hmm. you know, and you just had to take your pick. And that's why I think, that, you know, it's developed that cult following. Every fan, everyone who does genuinely love Clue has their favorite ending, and they believe that one is yeah. canon. You know, they believe, no, 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 I, I think this is the real ending. This is what really happened. It gets people discussing the film, and it is a unique factor. You know, maybe it's not everything you wanted it to be. I agree. If you had, like, the interactive TV element, God, that, that takes it to another level, but obviously that wasn't available in 1985. It still maybe set the groundwork for things like Bandersnatch and yeah. that interactive element. You know, I think it, uh, we owe a lot to this this some would say oddball decision, but quite a brave decision as well. You've got to hand it to them. <laughs> this was a bold move. And I think the cult status the film has developed shows that that has paid off. You, you sound like you're giving a speech at a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, you think the, um, do you think the cult status that, that it's got, I've heard like the two of you sort of mentioned it, do you think it is a cult status because, you know, like Mario, it's a true work of, of you know genius or, <laughs> or or you know more like um you know, maybe like tree of life where it's you know, a little bit confusing and, and a bit pretentious you know where, uh, I, can say it gonna, I can say because he's not going to listen so it doesn't <laughs> i i honestly think it's a little bit of both i think there is a strong element of people genuinely love this film Mm-hmm. For what it is, they love the cast in particular, which we're still yet to talk about. They love the the cast. They love the jokes. They love the three different endings. They love the uniqueness of the film. You know, if you look at it, there was a Family Guy episode, kind of a special they did, and then there were fewer, where they're basically set in a mansion and James Woods gets killed, and then the kind of a couple of other major characters get killed. That owes a huge debt to Clue. Even the soundtrack elements of the soundtrack were lifted from Clue. You know, the way the episode is shot its influence is still being felt today. You know, that, that cartoon was aired like 20 years after Clue. It's still very influential. And then I think there's some people who, who feel sorry for the films. A lot of it is Joel's old argument, you know, cult can sometimes be a byword for shit. And I think that's harsh. <laughs> but I think what you say about it, is it the film is, you know, is, is it got a cult status because it's not that good? I think there's an element that people feel sorry for it because it bombed. Deservedly or undeservedly, it bombed at the box office, and the cult status comes along comes along later, and people are like, oh, actually, it's not that bad. It didn't deserve to bomb. Yeah, it, it didn't deserve to make some money. Yeah, it didn't deserve this, and that's where I think cult status can come from, and I think that's where it's come from in this instance. People who genuinely love it, and those who maybe didn't love it but feel sorry for it because it didn't deserve the wrap it got. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Would... Agree with Dave in, in that, in that sometimes cults can mean, oh, just a, a cool film where it's a bit, little bit marmitey, but a bit, a bit like The Room. So if you watch The Room, it is arguably shit, but it's also very enjoyable. But then you could call something, as Dave said, like, you know, Clue, a cool film that wasn't, success, wasn't successful when it was released, but then went on to become successful later on. But then you have films like The Thing and Blade Runner, which weren't successful at all when they were released but have appreciated over the years. I wouldn't say they're cool films. I'd just say that like people realize that, oh, actually, no, they're really good, and we shouldn't judge a film by its box office takings. I think also yeah. cult can also mean you know, the level of appreciation your fans have. I would argue The Thing is a cult film because people do cosplay as, as Kurt Russell's character. You know, There's a whole board game spinoff now with, with The Thing. The fact that fans are still buying merchandise and still dressing up as the characters, when the fans are that passionate about it, that's when you get cult status. And yeah. Clue is a cheap okay. Just like Status Quo's film, Bula Quo? Well, I think they already had a <laughs> fan base. I don't think the film has. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
we as we move like move forwards, and we'll talk about casting characters in a minute. How, how do kind of I was thinking maybe this ties in. So you, you, we talk about the nineteen fifties vibe and try and capture what I, I guess is relatively boring jobs. You know, if they're just sort of government clerks or office workers, almost. You know, maybe they've got various levels of uh, power. But how do they how do they capture that? You know, does it feel like a fifties movie? Do they cap? You know, is it you know, I was trying to think. I can't imagine it to be pretty or you know massively artistic, but because um, in my head I've genuinely got a, a version of of airplane, but just in, yeah. a, in a mansion. That's um, kind of what I've got. Cheap, it, cheap costumes. Um, that's kind of what is in my head. But yeah, um, no, not at all. It's quite authentic to the 1950s vibe. It's shot using modern techniques, so it's not shot like a 1950s film. It's shot using more, more modern techniques like the Zemeckis brothers would have used at the time. But the set design, the costumes, everything like that is authentic, even down to like the license plate uh, on Tim Curry's car as he's driving up to the house is a proper 1955 register, or it expires in 1955 Washington, D.C. license plate. Uh, the costumes are authentic. The pieces that decorate the set, only the ballroom was actually a real room from a manor. The rest of it was all set, but they decorated it with pieces from private collections, a couple of pieces from um, Theodore Roosevelt's estate. So these are authentic antique pieces because it is an old mansion. So it's meant to be old antiquities around. They, the, the production designer did their job and so did the costume designer. Everything yeah. looks authentic, even down to Joseph McCarthy playing on the radio when Tim Curry walks through the kitchen. It's it fits the fifties aesthetic perfectly. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I I didn't know it was set in the fifties until Dave just mentioned it before. <laughs> it's it's mentioned frequently. <laughs> no, I know. I, I watched this film three times. I was like, how the fuck did I miss it? It was set in the fifties. Why did you watch it three times? I thought they. Well, just, like, you know, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, I saw it once. I saw it once years ago. And then I watched it again with my wife last year. I, I, I'm going to say about a year ago. And then I was yeah. like, oh, that's quite good that we're doing Clue because I've watched it quite recently. So when I sat down to write my argument, I was like, I can't fucking remember anything about it. So I had to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I watched it three times. And, he, and even this okay, most sorry, recent no. time when I'm watching it to make an argument about it, I still missed that it was set in the <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, and that brings us on. Then let's talk about the characters. Um, you know, some big names have been mentioned so far. Mm-hmm. You know how, how does that work? I mean, obviously Tim Curry, we know, is a great actor and could probably ad lib his way, you know, through through a week. Mm-hmm. Thought of of acting, but uh, you know, of, of screenplay. What about the others? Do everybody does it play well? Does it work out well? Yeah, I'll start off. Uh, Tim Curry certainly could ad lib his way through it out of anything. So can they all. This is a superb comic cast. They're great actors to start with. I think there's about four Oscar nominations between what is quite a small cast. I'm just talking within that the principal eight. Uh, there's four Oscar nominations there. They've all cut their teeth in comic films to start with, or you know, Tim, Tim, Curry case, Tim Curry's case, musicals. You know, they started off in light-hearted entertainment. They're not necessarily known as dramatic actors. They're mostly remembered for their comedy work. Madeline Kahn, who plays uh, Mrs. White, is probably best known for appearing in Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. Leslie Ann Warren, Oscar-nominated actress, also has done a number of comedy films. Eileen Brennan, I remember her as the drill instructor from Private Benjamin. Another fantastic comedy role. Tim Curry, what more do I need to say? You know, these are these are fantastic comic actors. And honestly, you could have them sit there reading takeaway menus. And it would be, they could probably get a laugh out of you. Whatever flaws the script may have, they can smooth over it effortlessly. These are actors of that caliber. The the casting director, I think, nailed it on this one. They assembled the perfect ensemble cast for this film. 
and they can they can drive the film along. They know when to ad lib, and they were allowed to ad lib by the director who did write the script as well. But like Madeleine Kahn's line about you know she's talking about her hatred for the maid. It's like flames, flames on the side of my face. That, that whole that speech was all ad libbed by Madeleine Kahn, and they kept it in. You know, so the actors were allowed to do what they wanted with the characters to take the lines in different directions, put jokes in as and where they wanted to. And you know what? You could trust these actors. The director could honestly just kick back and let them do what they want to do. You know, they can go off yeah. script. They can stick to the script. You got gold on your hands. You cannot go wrong with a cast like this. You cannot go wrong with a cast like this, Gav. <laughs> it almost what a way to end this thing. In. <laughs> I think you can go wrong with a cast like this, and I'll tell you why right now. I'm not going to dispute anything Dave has said there about the quality of the actors. You know, you've got. Very, very good cast of great comedic actors, especially for the time. But it doesn't matter how good or funny you are. If you're given a shit character or a shit script, you are going to struggle to bring it to life. And that is what unfortunately happens here. The characters haven't been developed much further than in the board game and thus boil down to just either professions or characteristics. As I said before, they feel like caricatures with no, no real thought that has gone into them or who they are or what their possible motives could be. Once again, that adds this unsatisfying feeling at the end. And, uh, you know, I, I know all about leaving people unsatisfied at the end. But <laughs> because, <laughs> because with no real character development and no clear motives, it feels like a lot of, as I said before, the writers just essentially picked a killer out of the hat. Also, you mentioned before that like Tim Curry could ad-lib ad his way through this. And Dave mentioned that the cast are left their own devices and they can be as funny as they want and put in jokes and ad-lib as much as they want also. I actually don't think that happened. I don't get the sense that it, when you watch it, it doesn't feel very natural. It feels a little bit staged. It feels a little bit stiff. <laughs> Sorry, moving on quickly. Um, I think it would have been much better if they would have let the actors have a bit more free reign, bring a bit more personality into it, maybe improv or ad-lib a bit more. Dave mentioned a line before by Madeline Calm. I thought that was the funniest line in the entire film. I was laughing my ass off. It's where she's describing how she made the vet. Judging by the cast, when you're watching the cast trying to hide their smiles, you can tell that that was ad-libbed. You can tell that they're really just dying to crack up. And it just felt funnier for me than 90% of the rest of the comedy in it. And I feel that if they would have let them all do that a lot more, this film would have been funnier. It would have felt fresher. It would have felt more natural. And as Dave sort of alluded to before, these are great comedic actors. Just leave them to their own devices. Just let them bring their own personality and their humor into it. And it will lift the script or the lack thereof right off the screen. Damning, damning stuff, and I liked it. That was good. Every uh, every second of the uh, both arguments there were very enjoyable. Do you want to do us a little closing statement? Some of the bits that we've not touched on, I'm sure there are. Um, I'm sure there's plenty that we've not really captured, and there always is on these arguments. But maybe you can summarise any of the big the big ticket items that you'd really like to um, make sure I factor into my conclusion, Dave. Yeah, I I can just summarise quickly. Okay, so what you've got here is a screwball comedy in the likes of Airplane, but one that's done with a certain dignity and a certain finesse, as brought around by Jonathan Lynn's direction. Uh, stellar ensemble cast, one of the best ensemble cast that came out of the 1980s, lift this script and bring it to life. 
any flaws that there may have been, nothing is perfect, is quickly washed over by sheer professionalism and the simple fact that they seem to be enjoying themselves and that they're game for a laugh. This film is not to be taken too seriously. It is a comedy. It is meant to be enjoyed. It is all about the ride. It is not a, a, a murder mystery like the likes of Death on the Nile or Murder on the Orient Express, where you are piecing the clues together yourself. You're along with Poirot for the ride. There is no Poirot in this. There is no detective. You're just enjoying the ride on this one. You're enjoying the zaniness. You're enjoying wondering which poor hapless soul that wandered into the mansion that night is going to be bumped off next. And you just enjoy the characters and the actors in particular doing what they do best, which is bringing this film to life. It's got a fantastic soundtrack. It's got a brilliant uh, set design. All quite very. It could have been quite insular with the way the film is shot. It all set in this one mansion and in real time. All of these factors could have made the film quite slow paced, but it doesn't. The pace keeps it going. It has a frantic energy to it, which is uh, much appreciated on screen. And all in all, it's got its cult status deservedly. Yeah. Quick summary. Yeah. This film has as much dignity as a butler whose pants have just fallen down. (laughs) (laughs) Dave is saying that this, you know, it's a comedy mystery and you need to have that zaniness. I, I, I disagree. We just did Knives Out last week, which was funny and was a mystery. You had the mystery in there. You know, you had the humor as well. And the whole time you were able to enjoy the film, you're able to laugh at the film, but also you're able to play along like it was a game, like it was a mystery and you were a detective and you were trying to figure out who the killer was. This is based on one of the most successful board games of all time, which is a board game about trying to figure out who the killer is. So to take that aspect away from the film and just have this zany screwball comedy where anything goes and it doesn't really matter who the killer is because there could be a different killer no matter where you watched it, it just feels like you're being robbed of some of the enjoyment. And yeah, that's it for me. Um, I think in the words of Joel... Uh, cult is another word for shit <laughs> definitely in this case <laughs> i would have thought in the words of joel you might have said something like cult can could it might be the words were so far filled with sacks full of uh, <laughs> shit i think was this <laughs> from last week so he does he does a have a way more, with words doesn't he yeah, that he might have been a little bit more graphic than, than just uh, a synonym for shit but yeah and um, thank you for that i've got some good uh, notes on both. Um, do we have a quiz? I'm up for a quiz. Yeah, you know, we do. Taking part. Yeah, we do. Is it, uh, it going to be an accessible quiz? It is going to be one of the <laughs> hardest quizzes you've ever encountered in your life. Essentially, that... we're just going to play 40 minutes of Clue, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was wondering what to do a quiz about, and I thought, you know what? I've not done a really difficult quiz for a while. It's not impossible, but it's bloody hard, if I do say so myself. Ozzy, you may as well sit this one out. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, play along, Ozzy. You might surprise yourself. You might surprise yourself. Um, Essentially, this is a quiz on movie butlers. Fuck it up. You've not done this before. (laughs) And there might be a reason why. I was going to say, we'll probably find out the reason why. (laughs) There's a good reason why we never should have done a Billy Crudup quiz. Now there could be a good reason why we never should have done butlers. But as it is, here is a quiz all about movie butlers. Question number one. What links Andy Serkis, Michael Caine, and Jeremy Irons? Michael Serkis. Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis, Michael Caine, and Jeremy oh, Irons. Bam. What do they all have in common? They've all yeah. played Alfred Batman's butler. Is correct. Oh, yeah. well done. Yes, they've yeah. all played. I thought Michael Goff would have been a bit of a giveaway if I, <laughs> if I put his name in there. Okay, this is, this is quite a tricky one. I'm going to be watching you for this one, Gav. James Fox has been in two films where his character has had butlers. 1963's The Servant. Oh my God, that was the one I knew. <laughs> and 1993's The Remains of the Day. 
Okay. Name either of the two actors who played as butlers. Okay, so Anthony Hopkins in Remains of the Day, and the other one was um, uh, Bogard, wasn't he? It um, was Dirk Bogard. Yeah. yeah, well done, Gav. That is, a, that is a point for Gav there. In 1981, in the 1981 Dudley Moore comedy vehicle, Arthur, it netted an Oscar for which British stage actor in his role as Arthur's fiercely loyal valet? Oh, was it Sir John Gielgud? Or Sir John Mills? It is Sir John Gielgud. Your oh, first answer was gold. Wow. Well done. You, you know your butlers, Gav. <laughs> <laughs> this is a five-pointer. This is a five-pointer. Oh, 2013's The Butler saw Forrest Whitaker play Cecil Gaines, a White House staffer who serves under numerous presidents based on the life of Eugene Allen. Name any of the presidents depicted in the film alongside the actor portraying them. Oh, God. So... Is, this, is this the film? That Mr. Gaines, not Mr. Gaines. Oh, what's his name? No, we were talking about him before. He was in uh, Fifty First Dates. Rob Schneider. No, no, this is silly. Uh, <laughs> the other guy, the, the main Sandler. I can't remember his name. Adam Sand- Sandler. Is this not the film where uh, I like? I don't know why. This is, is this the comedy not, version that, that, of that film. This is not that. That's Mr. Deeds. <laughs> Uh, there oh, is Deeds, a butler sorry. in Mr. Deeds. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I've, well, this isn't it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I could probably tell you the president, some presidents in it, and I can probably tell you some actors in it. So if we yeah. just shout names and hopefully, yeah, shout some random names. Um, so and is 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 John Cusack correct? In it? Yeah. Um, Which president did he play? Oh, fuck knows. I, I've Aussie, never seen I guess it. at a president, still a point. <laughs> Nixon. Correct. Oh, I'm giving you... <laughs> I, I'm I was trying to work you... out who does Kusak look like, and I was like, I can't think of anyone. I was, I was thinking... All I had in my head was Futurama, head in a, <laughs> a jar. I was like, I'm, I'm giving you both half a point for that. <laughs> I was going to say um, Reagan, because isn't, isn't Reagan in it? Reagan is one of them. Who plays Reagan, Ozzy? Like, oh, oh. Ronald Reagan. Ronald think, Reagan. Think a good old Harry Potter potions master. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Rickman. Correct. Alan Rickman. Half Alan a point. Rickman. Alan wow. Rickman is correct. Plays Reagan. Any other presidents or actors anyone wants to take a stab at? Um, so, so then, anyone? And from that era? Or, or, yeah, from that Kennedy. era. Kennedy. Kennedy is one of them. Anyone want to have a guess who plays Kennedy? Kennedy Eisenhower. Um, Eisenhower is another one. That's half a point, was he? Oh, oh, God, isn't um, uh, uh, Robin Williams Eisenhower? Is correct. Robin Williams is Eisenhower. That's another half point to Gav. And then I, 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 can't, I can't say any, any, anybody else. I'm sorry. Are we done? I'm trying to think. Yes. I can't think of any other. Who's the, there's a president. I don't know if he only had one term, but it's a name that I, know, I can I never right. get in. Who came between Kennedy and, oh. and Nixon? That, that get, finishes the presidents, at least. Uh, Johnson. It was Johnson. That's another half point to Gav. The okay. actors you missed out on, James Marsden played Kennedy oh. and Leif Schreiber. Played Johnson. Uh, of course. Other than that, course. well done, guys. You picked up on most of the five points there along the way. Uh, question number five. <laughs> feels, like should, feels like we should have ended the quiz on that one. <laughs> question number five. As well as playing Wadsworth and Clue, Tim Curry played the master of the house in Rocky Horror Picture Show. What is the name of his butler, played by Richard O'Brien? Riff Raff. Uh, is correct. Another point okay. to Gav. Riff Raff. Question number six. In Tomb Raider, uh, the game's Winston Smith serves the Croft household, and his name was changed to Hillary for the Angelina Jolie film adaptations. Actor Chris Barry is best known for appearing in which British sitcom? Bam. Red yeah. Dwarf. 
is correct. Red Dwarf is correct. I thought it was going to be like, who was the actor? And I was like, uh, apart from the British Empire, that's the only other thing I know Chris Barry for. So, was... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you guessed right. <laughs> uh, question number seven. In the MCU, Tony Stark names his cyber butler Jarvis after his father's old valet. What was the first name of the real Jarvis? Uh, Richards? No. What's it begin with? Uh, E. Edgar? No. Edward? Very close, but no. Eddie? No. Edwin? Edwin is correct. I'm going to give Ozzy the point for that one. Edwin Jarvis. This This is hard going, this quiz. (laughs) Dutch actor Carol Strickian is probably best known as the Adams Family Butler Lurch in the 1990s film adaptations. To the nearest inch, how tall is Strickian according to IMDb? Nearest inch. Nearest inch. So is he is he six foot six? Is he seven foot nine or something like that? I'm gonna say six foot nine. I'm going to say seven foot bang on. He is seven foot bang on. Well done. (laughs) Seven foot on the nose. Well done. I love my movie. That's so, so tall. That is very tall. That is very tall. As Kane, the wrestler, WWE. Is he the same height? Yeah. 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 Question number nine. (laughs) (laughs) Moving swiftly on. I'll feign interest another time. In which film does Bruce Willis battle Hitman and Butler to the Mayflower family, Alfred, with Willis gaining the upper hand and decapitating him? Oh, I've got no idea. Willis decapitates a Butler. Yeah. I've got no idea, to be honest. Yeah. Butler called Alfred. It's not 12 Monkeys. Poor old Butler Alfred. He was a very bad man. It's Hudson Hawk. Uh... And finally, question number 10. From which Scottish town does Gerard Butler hail? Is it, a, <laughs> is it A, Dunfermline, B, Paisley, C, Kilmarnock? A, Kilmarnock. Dunfermline. You're both wrong, it's Paisley. Oh. <laughs> well oh, done, mate. guys. That was, a, that was a tough, tough quiz. Thank so you. Well, hey, played. well done, man. That was a good quiz. Well done. That was really well thought out. One of the best quizzes we've had in a long time. Well done. Oh, I, I thought it was time to up the game and do and do a really <laughs> hard one for the film buffs that might listen. <laughs> well, I know that if I ever go on Masterminds, I'm going to have movie butlers. <laughs> movie butlers. <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah, thanks for that, Dan. Um, thanks for some good arguments. I think that, based purely on the fact that it's meant to be a full-on, it strikes me as meant to be a full-on comedy. It's, you know laugh a minute it's basically a stand-up show i'm gonna put it on the hit list but with a bit of trepidation is that sometimes zany is just not good as a you know i think it, this is not a movie that you can put on just anywhere i don't think it's going to be everyone's cup of tea and um i think you're gonna to have to be in the the right sort of mood maybe a drinking mood a party like sort of mood i don't think this is just a, a film that you can put on in the background and everyone enjoys. I think this is sort of people are coming around to be entertained. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna put it on a hit list for that for that reason. But uh, that's not to say your arguments were not good, Doga. Uh, don't worry man, I, I won't take it personally. But um when you get back from holiday, if you find the word twat keyed in your car, then <laughs> it wasn't me. Uh, okay, so genuine opinions, Dave, what did you think about Clue? 
I genuinely love Clue, but I'm prepared to admit that it's not a great film. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. I really, I genuinely do enjoy it. I love it. I've watched it a couple of times. I'll watch it a couple of times more. Um, it's the script that lets it down. I stand by everything I said about the cast, about the set design, the soundtrack. Everything is great. It's just the script is a bit weak. It could have done with a few more jokes. It could have done with being punchier. Could have done with being a bit wittier. As Gav said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. The, the cast are allowed to ad-libbed a little, a little. Maybe they should have been allowed to ad-lib more. Like I say, some of the best lines in here are the ones the actors have just taken off the top of their head, you know. I think it's a good film, um, but I perfectly understand, you know, as much as I may defend it, if someone turned around to me and said, oh, I couldn't stand Clue, it's like, I get it. It's totally I get it. Yeah. It's not as funny as it could have been. I think if it had a stronger script, we'd have an instant classic on our hands. Mm -hmm. As it is, the script's a bit weak, but I still enjoy it. I genuinely do. I still love this film. So uh, maybe that's cult status defined for you there. You know it's not the best, but you like it all the same. Maybe maybe that's cult status. Yeah. Well, I feel the exact same way. I really like oh, cool. it. But, yeah, it is a bit <laughs> shit. No, it is <laughs> no, 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 I'm being too harsh there. Yeah, what I was saying is Dave has summed it up really, really well. I think that... Well, actually, I think you summed it up well yourself in, in your summary, Ozzy. I do yeah. think it's one of those films that it could be very hit or miss. And I think if you are going into this thinking that there is going to be more of an element of mystery, which is what, uh, when I watched it last year with my wife, I think she thought that it was going to be more like Knives Out. But it is just very zany, very oddball, you know, screwball comedy. Yeah. It, it, do, it does feel like a bit of a letdown. But if you are going in knowing what it is, knowing that it's just a bunch of actors having a good laugh together and that it is just a, this manic, frantic comedy where it doesn't really matter the outcome, what happens, it's just a bunch of people having a good time, then I think you can appreciate it more. So I understand why it's become a cult film. I think that a lot of people probably like it for that. And as Dave was mentioning before as well, you have that following of people who are saying like, oh, well, what ending do you believe? Oh, I think it's this ending. Oh, no, I think it's that ending. I, I quite like that as well. I do, I do quite like that there are three different endings and depending on who you are, when you watched it or where you watched it, you could have a different outlook on the film. I was so, thinking. Yes. Yeah. I was about to say, I was thinking, it's like we often criticize plot holes. It's like, how the hell are we going to criticize three, <laughs> three completely different endings? <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> talk about unsatisfying, but I, I liked it. And I think the cast saved it. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it could have been a write-off without that cast. They did a, a brilliant job. So I, th I think it's in the right place. Yeah, well, uh, it'd be interesting to see what you think of it anyway, Ozzy. So I uh, look forward to hearing your verdict next week. Now, yeah. before we call it a day, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which is the <laughs> highest rated film we've ever done. Um, Knives I'm, Out. I'm, which scored 97 I'm, and 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Sure, based purely on the argument that I think both of you threw out there that it was critically a uh, shit. Mm. It was panned. I'm just going to say lower. It's got to be lower. I mean, I think critically it's going to be way lower. An audience, I think, is going to be respectable. Not great, but respectable. Okay, well, you, you are both right. The critical score is low. 65, not as low as I thought it was going to be, considering that's, it was panned when it came out. That's not bad. And the audience score is much higher than I expected. 86%. There we oh, go. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is very well regarded amongst its fans. 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see what you think, Cosby. I think that just proves it's an enjoyable film, but if you're going to break it down and analyze it, as might be your job as a film critic, there are things you can pull apart for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Okay, so next week is a continuation of our Who Done It month as we twist the knife in further and we put on. Uh, well, randomly picked from a hat, it is seven. We're going to put seven on trial. It's kind of a whodunit, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is in a way because you don't know who done it until until the end. And then... yeah, I mean, it's just basically an hour and a half of Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt like scratching their heads, looking at photos, like who done it. I suppose it's a why why done it. You know, like what why, why, why done, how done it, <laughs> where done it. <laughs> uh, um, a bit of a spoiler if, if you haven't seen seven put your fingers in your ears but i watched it once again around the same time as watched clue last year with my wife during lockdown and we put it on sky and this the summary on sky was like um dogged detectives morgan freeman and brad pitt try and catch serial killer kevin spacey <laughs> 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 Anyway, all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random also. So in the role of defense, it's going to be Joel and Dave. In the role of prosecution, it's going to be myself and Alex. And uh, Ozzy, you're judging again. So sorry, mate. I mean, I suppose it's going to be easy for you because you're on holiday and you probably won't get time to write an argument for it. But yeah, you're going to be judging seven. And that is it. I just want to say thank you very much to both of you for pitching up, unlike two others who won't be named. (laughs) But I just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode. If you want to hear more Films on Trial content, go on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on any platform, really. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, who knows? Who cares? Follow us on <laughs> social media, Twitter, at Film Trials, or Facebook, YouTube, and or Instagram, Films on Trial. So that is it. Clue has been a stab in the dark, a shot in the eye. Uh, slap in the ear. <laughs> it's on the hit list. Candlestick up there. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be deep inside those ears next week with Seven. Goodbye. It's like, yeah, Kat and I have watched it a couple of times together now. We just enjoy it. You know? <laughs> and isn't that a win? Isn't that what films are all about? <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Not on this podcast, mate. Yeah, not on this podcast. I do